Hello, my name is Teemu Arina, and today I'm talking to no one else but Pavel Stuslik Noa Aon. I've been really happy to know him. He's been coming to Biker Summits to make excellent performances with my event customers. But what I really value about him is the self-transformation he has gone through. I mean, we're all busy and in our lives, and he's been definitely successful looking at his bio in terms of just being someone who goes around the world, seven-figure entrepreneur, investor, DJ, producer, certified ambassador of peace, Beamhoff instructor, all that. But he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how we can really tap into, back into our bodies, I would say, to tap into our potential. That's how I see it in a way, to be in the present moment. And he does that through music, through words, through workshops, through experiences, retreats, lectures, all of that. And on top of that, he's an absolute geek when it comes to this, because he uses technology in his performances, and also that's what he incorporates in the lifestyle that he promotes, and he's involved in different things from technologies for protecting ourselves from electromagnetic radiation to health and wellness solutions that can help us all. He has spoken in many different other events as well, in addition to Parker Summit. I think he's one of the guys who is always in a different country every time I look on social media. So I don't know how you're doing it, but you look great. So welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. And I have so many admirations and gratitude for you because what you're opening to the world is just unpayable. You're allowing people to have a space to educate and motivate and inspire. And so thank you on behalf of everybody for what you're doing. I think we're on the same mission to bring people together on this path of self-transformation, self-actualization, self-mastery. We've gone through certain things on our own. But most important things in life are shared and we learn from each other. And one of the important, I would say, passages in life is to move from just being a humble student to being someone who is teaching and transmitting that knowledge forward. Because that's also part of your own growth. I learned it early on that the best way to learn is to teach others. And through that, you actually really embody your teachings. So I guess that's what we're both doing. And Thank you so much for doing your part, which is very hands-on and immersive with people. This system reset experience that combines breath, dance, and meditation, sound healing is incredible. And as a DJ producer, there's so many people who are just like, I would say like mixing other people's work, like just pressing play and there's like some record playing and you do some breath work and you're conducting this whole experience and deciding it yourself. and with your wonderful wife and kids as well. It's incredible to witness. So I would love to just dive into your background. Would you describe yourself as that you were first a DJ producer? I mean, you have released music on major labels like Warner Music and so on. You've been DJing since you were 12. So describe your journey up until the point where you decided to get so much more hands-on with your audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm born and raised in uh, Czech Republic, where I originally dabbled into DJing from young age. I've always loved music. I actually grew up dancing as well from ballroom to the modern dance that we see today. And I put it on a back burner. So when I was about 15 
16 years old, I started cycling a lot and I fell in love with the energy what bike can give you and the freedom that you can experience. And so I then decided I want to become a professional athlete. And essentially at first you can't do the nights and days all together. And uh, it really wasn't until I was 17 years old when uh, my dad gave me a choice. You either go to school, your life is paid for, or you do your little cycling thing and uh, you're going to have to figure it out. And that's, by the way, when I first dabbled into becoming an entrepreneur, I found a loophole in Alibaba and eBay. This is well over 10 years ago when Alibaba wasn't as trusted as it is today and people didn't really know what to think of it. And what I did back then, I actually, I put carbon frames because kids in Czech or Europe, they can't necessarily afford four or $5,000 carbon bike frames. So I found some for $500 at cost on Alibaba. I, I put the picture on eBay and I sold it through eBay to US or European customer with a markup. And then as soon as that person bought it on eBay, I shipped it directly from China to their homes. And there was my first business. And I actually, with traveling so much for cycling, I ended up making it to uh, professional cycling. And essentially, I the last two years, I raced for a Chinese team that was based in Holland. And so we lived part of the year in Europe. And in the other part, we did all of the Southeast Asia, Tour of China, Australia, Southland in New Zealand. And essentially what I did, every city we went to, I start talking to the bike shops and I told them that they need their own custom bike frame. And I got into the custom bike frames, essentially, and built this network of cycling stores around the world through the travels. But that also led me to a complete crash. And so when I was 20 years old, I had a first big pivotal moment. I uh, fall into depression. I had suicidal thoughts. I got diagnosed with Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue. My body was just smashed from not recovering. I was on a call with the factories when I needed to sleep and get ready for the next day. And so my body shut down in a Czech national race and I woke up in the hospital and that was the ending for my cycling career. That right there led me to discover biohacking, that led me to discover Wim Hof, that led me to really understand this body temple because I couldn't function anymore. And so I moved to America and I put all of the endurance into business. You know, at first I had to figure out how do you get visa? And so I went in there for E2 visa. And uh, for a little bit, I actually had a sushi restaurant, which didn't end up qualifying. And I got denied without prejudice <laughs> to, to be coming to America. And so I didn't give up. I ended up finding Tutti Frutti frozen yogurt chain. This is when, I don't know if you remember the frozen yogurt era. So I got into that, but I got sick and tired of making people fat because if you know what's in the freaking yogurt, it totally goes against everything I was learning in health. And so that led me to find Orange Theory Fitness, which was, or it still is, it's a group fitness that uses Howry Monitor. And it was the closest thing to cycling. So it really made a lot of sense. And I was 22 years old. And I drove to Fort Lauderdale to meet the owners of this franchise. And this is when Orange Theory had six locations open. That was it. Now there's over 2,000 in the world. So it was like a perfect timing. 
And I came in there with some experience, but not to the extent that they will give me a region. And so they gave me two days to basically file all of the franchise disclosure documents and find the funding to be able to move to Atlanta, Georgia at that time. And so I think that was their polite way to say, F you, <laughs> if you can do this is yours, if not, it is not yours. And so I was able to figure everything out. Within two days, I was driving up to Atlanta where I've never really been in. And within six months, we became the fastest growing region in the entire chain. And so for me, being seven, eight hours a day on a bike or 12, 15 hours putting a workflow, it was so much easier. And within about six months, I ended up partnering up with the CEO and president. And we grew this into seven different regions with almost uh, 100 locations under my belt. And so by the time I was 26 or 27, I started exiting from Orange Theory from private equities. And that was my like first huge success in this world. Checkboxing what people call the American dream, but there is a but. And that but was I was completely burned out. I felt the same lack of purpose again, even though I was doing something good. Arguably, some people would say that definitely doing so much of high intensity inward training now with my knowledge is also not the way to do it. But anyways, I committed myself that every three months, I'm going to do something that will put me out of comfort zone, something that I can go on the self journey through self mastery or, or I call it the journey through self transformation now. And so it first started, I did a samurai camp in Japan, in Kyoto to learn the way of a samurai. Then it led me into Zen master training. And I basically, every three months, I would go somewhere, put myself through this crazy discomfort. And it wasn't until about seven years ago when I went to darkroom for the first time. I spent 10 days in complete darkness with no food. And uh, by the way, this is a breatharian initiation. People that solely live on prana, which is another, wow, what is this? <laughs> and essentially, I walk in there. Here is my cell phone. I just want peace. That was my intention. And it turns out that day seven, I just lost it. I start crying and purging. And for the first time in my life, I was just in this perfect bliss of accepting myself for who I am, not for who I am not. And in this moment, I basically got the vision of Noah Aeon. And uh, Noah means movement. Aeon is all or none. And it symbolizes duality. My whole life, I had highs and lows and good days and bad days and healthy and sick. And I was playing ping pong, this like up and down and up and down until I was like, this is enough. There is another way to life. And that's in the middle. That's the harmony. That's the health. That's happiness that we're meant to feel here. And so I walked out of this cave or they call it the yogi cave. And essentially, I decided that I'm going to go back into music. So that became my passion. I started learning how to produce music, how to DJ again, because everything has shifted technologically since when I was 12. My purpose became, how do I give this knowledge out to the world? And so I started doing workshops and retreats and immersive experiences, which you know today we, we call the system reset. And then my legacy was, how do I make means with all of this? And kid you not, within two years, I lost everything. Everything in my life was stripped away from getting divorced to all the finances. I literally woke up one day and every single account was either frozen or below zero. 
it was crazy and scary because I made all of these pre-commitments and investments and to stay within the, the societal norm as an entrepreneur, what, what you keep on doing. But I was so over it. And I went into a second extreme, which was becoming completely broke out of <laughs> my, my life. And that led me into a true integration. What I live today is this combination of the falls and, and highs that led me into balance. And it led me into having a partner that I love and that we have this union. Being able to make means with doing the spiritual work. And it took a lot of obviously shedding and repatterning. But long story short, that's what got me into this path of what I'm doing today. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Sounds like you have been on an exercise bike all your life, man. But quite a story, like pushing basically the limits of everything. First breaking your body with too much exercise and then breaking your mind and then getting it all the American dream, although you're not American, and then losing the American dream, like all of it, and then being reborn. I mean, there's this whole mythology of the phoenix bird rising from the ashes. So this is the typical, almost like hero's journey that you are called for an adventure and then you meet, you know, your guides and you get all kinds of successes and then you go really into the bottom and then you're reborn as a master in a sense. And yeah, it's interesting. Like I didn't know it was the dark room for you that did that. And Nowadays, it's this thing that is becoming more and more popular. Uh, Vipassana, obviously, many people rave about that, like silent retreat. But the darkness retreat thing, I think Aubrey Marcus spoke about that recently, also how important it was for him. I mean, he's done like probably all the psychedelics and ayahuasca and all of that. And then like darkness was the biggest one of them that can be so transformative. There's actually a location close to me that opened recently. They do dark rooms, so underground. And I spent, I went inside just to check how it is. You can even rent one of these rooms or just for overnight stay. You can choose to have this darkness experience so that they just bring you food like through the door. You can be alone or it can be, so there's these speakers that there's guided exercises that you do. So you can have a guide that is like through the speakers every hour or something. There's something, or you can have a shaman or like some healer with you in that space guiding you through that experience and you can do it alone or you can also have someone else there a friend or something like this that's also possible but I know this just being there for I think it was just like 15 minutes I felt like absolute peace already in like 15 minutes and definitely your nervous system wants to make something out of that complete silence and darkness that you kind of see stuff already like very quickly, like very vividly, you see things. They, they also explained to me that that kind of sensory stimulation tends to wear off and then it picks up after some days. So was that the experience for you something like this where you had some difficult time and the system tries to ad adjust and then there's like a complete silent moment at some point and then you start to get visions. Was there something like this happening to you or uh, what was going on there? Yeah, no, totally. So it's always, so I've done it now four times and it became my like yearly reset because it's been so powerful. And I've also tried every possible psychedelic that's out there in this journey because I was hurting and I wanted to find peace through everything that's available so that way I can speak about it and embody it. And, and it truly wasn't until the dark room that it's this massive empowerment of your own 
beingness that shines through you through this experience. And so it takes about three to four days always to readjust. And so I, what I use to occupy my mind, I would always go back in time every year or every seven years I could remember and just go backwards into what have I done? What have I done wrong? What do I want to improve? And so that kind of led me to see myself for who I am and then forgive myself for who I am not. And essentially, that's like the first three to four days when there's not so much vision yet. Now, you're supposed to already stop eating about a week before. So that way you actually come in detox, because if you don't do that, then the first three, four days you're detoxing and it can be very miserable. You smell bad, you just have a headache. And and I've done it both ways in the past where I just go straight in versus doing the cleansing. Now, the fourth, fifth and sixth day, this is when they believe that your pineal gland clears out from all the blue lights, from all the uh, mess basically that we're constantly bombarded by. One, one that, question of clarification. You go, you do that fasted, like the whole time there. So there's no food. No food, right. So like this darkness thing, like you can do it either way. You maybe have like access to a kettle and some tea or something like this, but you can do it with food or without. So you would recommend going without food. You do a detox before, go there in a fasted state. And you must be using some electrolytes or something. Or it's just water that you drink or? It's just the water. But here's the thing. So because it's a breatharian or pranic retreat, it makes it completely different from any other darkroom experience because the whole main point of it is to tap into your own inner source. And it's that source energy when we slow things down, that little pulsation, that vitality, basically the original source vibration or energy that gives us life when we're born and takes it away back to the oneness when we die. So that's like the craziest thing. You have to completely rewire your mental patterns to the belief system that it is possible to actually sustain with just your own inner source. But here's the thing. So you do series of different testing all throughout. So you know actually what's your prana percentage. And it's a muscle testing, regular ones. And you could be like, is my prana percentage 70%? Yes or no? 80%? Yes or no? So throughout the days, because you're in a deep state of meditation, you're getting deeper and deeper into this transcendent state. And essentially, when your prana percentage hits 100%, then you actually gain weight inside of the darkroom. And I never understood this until this last time. So this fourth time that I've been in, I essentially, for the first time, I took pictures before and after. And I always show people and ask them, what do you think? Which one is before and after? Every single person thinks that the one after is my before. And essentially, I finally got it, like what it is to actually convert. Because imagine that, let's say that you are using your prana 90% and then physical source 10%. That means that 10% you're still losing weight and you're still in a detox state. But then when you convert, that detox state is gone and your body knows what, the, what your natural weight is supposed to be like. And so it's wow, wow, wow. It, it literally took me so many years to actually understand this. And this last time, it took me two weeks after the retreat to actually start becoming hungry again, which was crazy. Like I was like, imagine that you literally lose a hunger, physical hunger. And at that point, the worst part is your emotional attachments to food, your mental fear around food. It's not even the physical body anymore. And this is why like day five or six, this is when they say, you know, the DMT starts just producing 
massive amounts naturally. And that's when you even have to learn these meditations, how to tone down the light because it's so intense. Like you, you could be walking in the thing in a dark room and everywhere there's just like raises of light and beams and orbs and you, you can't really make up, you know, wh what it is, but it's, it can get really intense. And then the first dark room I've ever been in, I remember I was dreaming lamb chops everywhere and you can't tell if you're in, if you're like in a dream state or if you're awake. So it's like really hard to sometimes discern whatever you're dreaming or you're awake and you just see lamb chops everywhere. <laughs> All you want to do is just grab onto that. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it's just profound what you're describing, what the human mind is capable of. And I, I guess this is closest to boundary dissolution, where you're actually like connected to whatever is the one. And if you are like in a state where you don't even know if you're awake or if you're asleep, there is no difference and you don't see anything. You don't like, you don't eat anything. Like it's just like you're with the essence in a sense. I can only imagine what one needs to go through to be comfortable with that state because I would imagine some people might go crazy about it. I heard that the longest someone had been in that room here is 21 days. Have you ever considered going, did you say like seven days what you normally do or does it get worse or better? Is it like a flotation tank? Because some people can, most people can do like flotation tank for more than a certain number of hours because it gets pretty intense. So how would you compare that actually to a flotation tank experience? Yeah, so I do 10 days every time and it's a specifically sequenced and timed from Jas Muheen. So Jas Muheen is the, is, has been my mentor for many years and I became ambassador of peace through her. She's doing some amazing work. She was basically one of the first women that brought the, the breatharianism into the West and obviously got frowned upon because it's insane for the regular mind to even comprehend this. And, and it, so some people have a vertigo the whole time. Some people literally get vertigo in darkroom and it like does not quit. I always feel bad for that person because they're basically on a ride, right? Everything is just moving around them the entire time. So there is uh, different times that different things happen. The way she does it, so there's meditations up to day seven. Every day there is a less and less time in a group settings. And in the last three days, it's complete silence. So you're like leading up to this, this last three days. But in those last three days, that's when most of the insight come. After doing it four times now, I call it the process of unhooking because we live in this world of doing. And we discussed this before this call that we've become chronic doers. You know, if we don't do enough, we're not enough. And it's really a sad paradigm because we are spiritual beings living a physical experience. And it goes into the paradigm I, I love. It's the be, do, and have. But it took me my whole life to really understand how to reverse this because most of us have to have the right things, do the right, before they do the right steps, and then never become what they've been wanting to become to begin with. Now. What happens in darkroom with the unhooking, I actually, I, I brought this th thing into my everyday life. So that way I don't have these crazy shifts once a year, because the first time I went in, I changed my life 360. I literally was misaligned with my purpose, with my passion, with everything. But then the second and third and fourth time, it was just minor adjustments. Now it's not this like crazy change anymore. And so what I start doing once a day, the first hour of the day, I completely unhook from computer, from everyone. I just spend time on my own before I go into the world. 
and do breath work, meditation, whatever that morning ritual is for you. It's like the time to determine what my day is about to be. Then once a week, I take full day off from physical, digital. It's like a detox from everyone. So again, I can go back deep inside of what is my true desire? Who am I? I don't want to be somebody else's reason to live. <laughs> yes, because that's unfortunately what most of us are. And then once a month, which by the way, it starts tomorrow, my four days off, which is I completely unhook for four days in that cycle. So that way, again, I can restore my energy. I can restore my ideas, my thoughts, my insights and unhook again. Now, you, you know, if you've been to a vacation, it takes about three days just to slow down the mind. Sometimes I don't know what to do with myself. Like we're just so used to actively doing it. Literally, it takes about three days just for the nervous system, just to drop in, let it go. And then if you ever had this happen the last few days before you leave the vacation, you don't want to leave because you finally like, dropped in. And so that's why I take about four days every month to be able to unhook from the world. And then once a year, it's 10 to 15 days. So usually it's 10 days in a darkness or and then the rest of it would be integration or before. And it's again, you don't have to go to this extreme. You could go into a cabin, right? You can go hiking. You can do anything where you don't use your computer, your phones. It's just you with yourself, with your thoughts. So you can actually hear what your true why for this life is. And so now being able to block it off, I don't have these crazy downfalls anymore. I don't experience the burnouts. And so it's been the biggest actually lesson from the dark room is how do you keep that dark room or that silence all throughout the year? With you, yeah, yeah. Would you imagine the next step for you is not to even have that four days, but to be there all the time? Absolutely. It's so also what I've learned is like in life, like we have cycles, right? We have micro cycles that keep on arising for us to grow, to improve. And it could be as little as we hit the cycle of negative thoughts. There's maybe issues with your relationships, maybe a little bit in career because everything is connected, right? We're connected to everything that we're doing, but these cycles come in to allow us to reseed it, right? So we either keep on repeating them and being blindfolded to what our life is trying to show us, or we actually reseed them and uplift them into the better, greater version of what we are learning through them. And then we've got macro cycles, which are more on a collective level, right? That we're experiencing as a country, as a group of people, as a you know, unified rounds. And those are equally as important because we obviously play a role in them. But then if we're constantly busy, we can't even see what these cycles are trying to show us. And for me, I used to go into the victimhood. What is happening again to me? And why is it not working? And what am I doing wrong? Instead of, okay, I, I got this. Now I see these cycles as an opportunity to grow and as an opportunity to actually like, okay, this is the misalignment right now on my path. Because the best way to understand if you're on your path is the life feedback that we're receiving, right? So if we're not abundant, if we're feeling sick, if we are constantly struggling with the same type of relationships, that's a direct feedback on the outside, what's happening on the inside. And there's some minor twist that we have to adjust so that way that doesn't happen. And for me, and I think this comes from cycling, if I didn't hurt, it wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. If I didn't learn through the gutter, through the painful experiences, I wasn't doing enough. And now I'm learning through love. I'm learning through joy. I'm learning through fun. 
And it's the same lessons that I'm learning, but instead of hurting, I can actually be joyous through it. And I wish that for everyone, but it does take the time to match the frequencies with this other state of being that we are meant to be flourishing in. And that's been like a big paradigm shift. Wow. This must be one of the most important conversations I've had for a while. In 2021, I, I started my day for four months with three hours of meditation in the morning. And that was basically just a way to get through the day because I went through hardship in my relationships. One of my closest friends passed away and it was like I couldn't practice my work, doing events, speaking, all of that. I was like strangled in, in different ways. And only by starting my day with silence, with myself, and that's where breadwork was key for me to be even able to be like three hours not doing. For someone who does a lot of things and very easily gets into all kinds of loops, I guess that's why I get so much done, like books and events and all of that. Is when I put my mind on something, like I'm just going to do it like until the end of the world in a way. Like I can like really go deep into it, but to come out of all of these attachments and just be is the other side of the coin that it, I know this was actually necessary for all that work to happen in a fluid way. And without that, it was a struggle. So that was the first time when I really got meditation. I've been doing it since I've been doing, I remember my first regular practice on meditation was with martial arts because I've been doing Japanese martial arts. So I always started with meditation. That was like two or three times a week. But once I started doing it, every single day, every morning, it shifted. And I noticed the difference in the days when I did it and when I did not. And yeah, I'm really like curious to try this dark room thing because that's a hardcore extreme version of that in a sense. And we need that silence. And I really like what you described about how the world is giving you feedback. And in the end, most of the suffering is in your mind. This is what most mystics tell about, like where our problems come from. It's our own mind. We're worried about the future. We're anxious about the past or the other way around. And we are not like fully present that it's, you know, be present, be here now, like Ram Das says, would be the answer. And you don't really understand it until you understand it, right? You have to actually like, it's so simple. You can intellectualize it, but to actually be here now is so hard for so many people because we have been taught that success in life is to achieve something, education, workplace, we all even associate happiness with it, that once I do this and that, or I'm that, then I'm happy. Like I get the family, I get the car, I get the dog, I get all of, like I have finances, it's okay. Like then I'm happy, but you might be the most miserable person ever. Like I know people have all of that who are the most miserable people I know. So it's not those things that you think are bringing you safety. In fact, your sense of safety is what's going on in your internal state and how the world reflects back that you can feel like absolute bliss and serenity and in a moment without anything. And I guess you went through that also like at some point while you realized you lost everything. Now, the interesting thing is once you go through these kind of alleys and pitfalls in life, it's easier to face another one and another one. So actually you need this challenge. You need these like impossible mountains to climb that you, once you climb them, you realize like it was actually easier than you anticipated in some way. 
And every time I do something difficult, I feel like, ooh, never, that was the limit. You find yourself in a situation where you do something even more. But that's interesting what you described, how it's not the struggle then, but it's the enjoyment, the happiness of just being, and I guess like the magic of things. So can you like elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm now on like a year 15 of doing these crazy, I guess, experiences. And what I've noticed is that life is actually so much more simple than we make it. And if you look at the cycles, we operate in a certain levels that we either choose to see to be able to get out of these levels or not see, which keeps us blindfolded and continue repeating the same cycles. Now, when I look at this, I actually created this very simple model. It's the me, we, and be. And what it is, it represents the me is your individual consciousness. Those are the things that you can take control over. And it's part of this journey through self-transformation that we're all on, but not all of us fully conscious of it. Now, when you think about individual consciousness, I'm talking about the physical body. So that's your temple, your health. And that's how this journey started for me. And I also see this in a lot of this world that if you don't fix your brain chemistry, your feelings of happiness, your dopamine, your serotonin, your life is not going to feel good because your body doesn't feel good. And that's when Biohacking 101 comes in, how to create this personalized health journey for your body to understand what your body needs in any given moment. I call it the hardware. So think about the body as the hardware. Then you've got the mind. Now, when I'm talking about mind, I'm talking about the monkey brain or the ego, or we have a many different words for it. Now, there's nothing wrong with the ego or mind. It's a protector, but it's this monkey brain that keeps on just shattering the same message over and over again that can run your life and sometimes ruin your life. Because if you believe in what it says, enough of times, then that's what you're experiencing. Now, how do we get charge of this? So I call it the software. And basically software directs the hardware. That's how it's supposed to do mind-body connection. We now have science that proves that it's this way, especially with Wim Hof, what he was able to do with autonomic nervous system. And basically what I had to do in this process, I had to face my mind. So I start writing down any negative thoughts I had about myself or about another then I would literally scratch it and I would rewrite it until I start thinking that way about myself and about the world. And it's a cliche, it's so simple, but yet you literally will be able to rewrite your software so that way your hardware listens to the superior mind. Go Can ahead. I add, add to this, like just a little practice for any listeners is that there's this gratitude journal practice where in the end of the day, you write what you are grateful about, let's say, in that day. And it could be small moments that you experience, and it makes you pay attention to the positive of that day. And in the beginning, it's like you need to a little bit like seek, okay, like what was happening today? Okay, that was nice, that was nice. And then after a while, you know this, as you do this, that you notice when it happens. So you already see it in the day that, hey, this is something that I'm probably going to write this evening. So you're not no longer like just going on autopilot, yeah. stuff happen, and then you have to reflect, okay, what was nice, but you actually see it when it's happening. And it takes four to seven weeks and it completely rewires the way you look at things because normally we are in a constant threat detection mode. 
where we give more priority to potential negative outcomes on every situation. It's a survival mechanism, right? So you are more likely to give more dopamine and more attention and more priority and more importance to negative events. But if you look at any day, as negative as it is, there's always something positive in it. And even the negative things can be positive. And that's also important for working with any kind of trauma or any kind of difficulties to see how that was important part of your life. So sometimes the hardest things are the best things that happened to you, right? The fact that you lost all your money and family and whatnot, as horrible as it is, might have been the most important trigger for your transformation, being a better person. So I just wanted to throw this in, that it's such a simple thing of just paying attention to your signaling. Like you described it as how you relate to others and rewriting that. I described how you relate to moments in your day and you rewrite that. And there is this, I think it's old Chinese saying that when it rains, some people get wet and some people just feel the rain on their skin. Which experience is worse? Which one you want to embody? Do you want to be the one who's getting wet or are you the one who's just experiencing rain on skin? So it's a matter of what you pay attention to. So yeah, sorry for interrupting, but please continue. (laughs) No, I think this is great. And this is what we're all about is right away getting tools. And by the way, this is what I've been about my whole journey is somebody has a path, right? Somebody has a tool. Then my butt comes in there. I'm like, show me the way. I'm going to do exactly what you say and then accelerate it. And if it works, I'll use it. If it doesn't work, then find a different thing because not every tool is going to work for everyone. But I think having this toolbox of your own set of things you can affect is huge. Yeah, my monkey mind just remembered like one moment which proves to me that you're not just talking, but you actually embody this, is that in Amsterdam 2022, you were there giving a performance. And I remember meeting you there and you were doing the system reset experience for people just before the conference. And you had all the silent disco headphones with you and whatever gear. And the moment when you looked away, your luggage was gone. So someone stole the whole production and you were like just about to start this experience. So there's people waiting. And I asked you that in that moment when you told me this story, you were smiling and I was like, oh my goodness, that must have been like pretty like drastic and challenging experience. And you just said that it's nothing. I I hope those people actually needed it more than I did. And it's just stuff. So you can just get new ones, right? But the The sad thing was that people were waiting and you couldn't like provide them that experience. You have to do something else. So to me, that's a good example of how you related to that. Like some people, that kind of experience could ruin their whole week or the whole month. They would be like contemplating and looping it and being like, I lost it. So attached to these material things, they don't see like any blessing in that. But the way you related to it, or you chose to relate to it, either you are ignorant, (laughs) delusional, or you're doing something very important here. What you're getting into is actually sometimes misunderstood by a lot of people. And it's the difference between surrender and not giving fuck about a thing or situation. And And what I've learned through this journey is the first step to everything is you can either react or you can accept. And when we react, we tense up, we lose breath, we go into fight or flight, just like running from a lion or 
we have a choice to stay in touch with our breath, be aware, stay relaxed in our body, and then figure out what do we do after. And I think that's the key to any of these situations that come to us is first you surrender. Actually, I have a really funny song. When things go hard in your life, this is what you got to do, okay? You have to sing this little tiny song and it is what it is, so what? And you got to do the locha or clap at the end. But here's here's what I mean by it. You first just realize it is what it is, right? This is what is happening. And then what you're going to do about it. Because if we don't make the change after, that's what makes the difference between people that don't care, right? That they're just in an apathy state versus people that actually will make it progressive. And it ended up being a great class. We found a little Bluetooth speaker so <laughs> that we put in the middle. We didn't lose voice over a, a full event. And, and $15,000 later, we got a new gear after, <laughs> which we needed to get anyways. Yeah. So you improvised in that moment. And I, I've done that actually, had that experience as a professional speaker. So you prepare the most amazing deck, the most amazing presentation ever. And you've been working so hard on it. And then I go on stage and the electricity of the whole building goes off in the middle of my talk. And there's just this red light, a warning signal inside the building that is blinking. And this happens in the middle of my presentation, my, the projector, lights, everything just goes off. What happened there, I just continued. I didn't even react to what happened. I turned that immediately a split second later as a joke and it's part of my presentation. And then I just kept on going. Hey, wow. <laughs> it was a great presentation, honestly, for me, because suddenly I didn't have any of the tools I relied on, but I was able to do what I love, which is just to speak and improvise and be in the moment. And actually, like one of my advice based on that experience for some people who do presentations is that you work on this great deck, you make the most amazing deck ever. And then when you go to speak, just don't use it at all. Like just go free flow. Like you don't need the material because the process of making it already prepared you for whatever that moment is all about. So you can absolutely go without all the tools if you want to. This is like the Tibetan mandala, right? They build it for hours and hours just to destroy it at the end. Absolutely. That's the modern desk warriors version of it. <laughs> the Tibetan analyze bits on the screen that you just delete. Yeah. Of course, it never feels good, especially if you lose a file. So you have worked so hard on something and then it's gone. But it's like nothing compared to losing your life's work. Android Jones is this amazing visionary artist, one of the world's top guys, especially digital visionary art. What happened, his whole home burned down while he was away. And every single piece was gone. Computers, sketches, all the art... And not just that, but generations and generations of details, everything gone in ashes, in flames. And it was interesting to watch the guy on his Instagram posting from the burning ashes, different messages and coming to terms what has happened and starting from the beginning. And I think it will make him a better artist that he lost everything. And it's like those moments are a blessing to a certain extent, if you see it. Like it can become like such an integral part of your story that you like, imagine losing your life's work. Who wants that? No one, right? To be able to surrender and accept it when it happens instead of going into 
this state of bitterness and resentment. I guess it's also Jordan Peterson talks about resentment. That's the worst enemy of all of us is resentment. It doesn't help you at all to get stuck in something that could have happened or could have been, but you didn't get. But you got something else. And by being so focused on what you lost, you don't see in front of you what you're actually getting now, in a sense. And I also think that this is what, like, there is a higher aspect of us, right? That's already realized that some people call it the higher self, other people call it the source, soul, spirit. It really matters not. But there is an aspect of us that is of the oneness that is not fully separated. And I think that's what the biggest separation between our egoic mind and this greater mind is that we put this sequence of experiences in front of us that we can learn most through. And if at any point of time, for example, this artist you were talking about, he was probably bored in some level or he needed more challenge. He needed to grow from what he's always known. And I think it's always funny, like sometimes we get so attached to different visions and different businesses and people. And so then we need to wake up to disrupt this. And if I bring it back to the me, right, the individual consciousness, right? So you've got the mind, the software, body, the hardware. Then you've got emotions, which is the representation of what makes this life feel real. And uh, in a way I've learned this. So I spent time with the psychics in Brazil. And what they taught me is we've got five physical senses, but then we have four spiritual senses or psychic senses. And these are the senses that every single one of us have, but yet we're not really taught how to read them and understand them because of the analytical mind can get so much in the way, right? The, the, the traditional monkey brain. Now, in this journey, first, I had to face the emotions, aka past traumas. Who have I hurt? Who has hurt me? What am I holding on to? And it really didn't happen until I could see it either through ayahuasca, right? Something that really is there to bring these things out, breath work or the darkness that I start accepting myself because there was such a massive disconnect between the worthiness of what I thought I am versus who I actually already am. And so facing that was key. Now, when we want to download new software for our phone or computer, we have to connect to the internet to be able to do that. Now, computers and technology is an extension of us. And so essentially, if we just reverse engineer that, if we connect to the internet, which is slowing down the monkey brain, going into breathwork, meditation, changing up the brain waves, because we've been chronically in the beta, overly active analytical mind, then we actually can allow these for psychic senses to experience. And so that's the spirit or the soul aspect of us. And I'll give you a few examples how we actually all have them and how do we build that relationship with them. So first sense is your inner hearing, which is not the monkey brain, right? Not the lousy voice. It's the voice that is telling you, turn off Netflix at night or start working out, quit drinking alcohol. It's the voice that always has your back but it's very subtle at first. Now, how do we strengthen this voice? We simply acknowledge the voice first. Thank you, I heard that. And then what you gonna do about that? And the minute that you turn off the Netflix, the minute that you actually follow this voice, it becomes louder and louder. And this is what happened for me. I came in there again as an entrepreneur with an open heart and open mind, but I was like, what is this? And then this voice became so loud that it integrated with the lousy monkey brain and then now it's become this amazing union or friendship with 
these voices inside of my head that are actually here for my greatest good. The second sense is your inner seeing or vision or third eye, right? Different mystical cultures talk about it in a different terms. And this is when you maybe have a strong lucid dreaming or you have a vision that hasn't happened or manifested yet. I always love using entrepreneurs. You have a business plan or idea that's a year from now that maybe not many people have seen yet. Then you put it into the consciousness today and then you create a plan, right? To how do you get there? So that's your inner seeing or vision. Then you've got your inner feeling, which comes from your solar plexus and extends into your hands. And this is really what Reiki, pranic healing, they use this sense or empaths is another term for these people. And this is when you go into a room and there was a fight, something doesn't feel right. Or you had a wrong feeling about a person, about a situation, but maybe you couldn't really put a word to it just yet. So same thing. Thank you. I felt that. What you're going to do about that to be able to use this sense as your extension of the physical senses that we already have. And then the final fourth one is your inner knowing. And I always like to say, when you think you don't know, when you know, you don't require to think. And that's how you discern it. You knew that the party wasn't a good decision to go to. You knew that person was cheating on you. You just knew it with your whole being. But this one is the hardest one to discern because of the noisy monkey brain has an agenda. So that's the that's why like when you start thinking, then do not use this sense, move into the feeling or hearing. Now, these four senses is literally, it's been like the biggest savior in my life because now instead of worrying about the external, what should I do? I ask the internal and then I validate it with the, the feedback. So if I make the right choice, you simply know instantly because life is made up of choices and consequences, which have a delay at first, but we have to learn how to operate in this delay because of this feedback constantly working for us. And that's the me individual consciousness made up your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual connection or health that in this journey, I had to face and really repattern. Now, I want to remind you, I am not master at anything, but the transformation itself, meaning now I go into these cycles that continuously happen, but I don't see it from a victimhood mindset. I see it as, okay, I need to shine more light into certain areas because it's showing me or reflecting in me what part of me needs to improve. When I start really getting handle of the me, the individual consciousness, then I was starting to move into the we, the collective. And I break this down into two segments. So it's the relationships. This is what are the people you spend the most time with because they're either reflecting the best of each other or the opposite. And so in the dark room, in these times, I had to really look into my relationships, my business partnerships, my friendships, and I start either improving them. So find forgiveness, acceptance and gifts to be able to lift them to the greater release or completely replace them. So that way now the relationships I have around myself, they only reflect the best of each other. And so it allows us to grow in this collective union. And the other part of the we, the collective, is environment. And so I've really dive into the environment in general because it's the water we drink, the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the air that we breathe. Is everything on the external that has an impact on the internal that has to be created, the environment that you can thrive in. 
And of course, this one is hard, especially in this world today. This is when EMF mitigation is important. This is when wearing organic clothes and creating a house or home that really can nurture you is a key because the me will be impacted ultimately the most. And then the third aspect of this is the B, the supra consciousness, I like to call it. And that is if we know that this universe was created 13.5 billion years ago, how did we get here? We're such a little drop of a dot in the mass in this vast ocean that we are operating in all of these micro and macro cycles at some level. But yet we determine through the health of all of the different bodies, how well we are or how aware are we of each moment. And this is when breath comes in. This is when body's awareness. This is when being present is crucial because now we can start seeing every opportunity, every little cycle or disruption as this magnitude to become the greatest version ever held about who and what we are. And it's me, we, and be. And when I went on this and I shined a light to this, I've come to a conclusion that it's actually really easy to take this in your own hands. And I use this four-step process. The step one is waking up. This is when you bring things to the surface that are not working. It could be negative mind. It could be negative relationships. It could be taking a blood test, right? Just simple for your physical body. And let's say that you are high on environmental toxins and low on vitamin D. Right? It gives you a data to start with to wake up from the first phase. Then you move into the second phase, which is cleaning up. And this is the most important because I used to be a master at keeping the old stuff, the old me, and also wanting the new. And guess what? I was Noah Aeon, highs and lows and good and bad because I continue to jump in this duality. So when you let go of the negative thoughts, you let go of the negative partnerships or you detox your physical body, now you're opening up this room to power up, which is the third phase of this. And this is when you supplement vitamin D, you bring new relationships, your new thoughts. This is a time that you go into offense and you start driving your own vehicle. Stop being a passenger. You're actually taking charge of every situation to go and rise higher. And the fourth step is rest up and repeat this cycle because if you ever think that you've learned something, there is a whole new set of tools in your path. That's why this never ends. It's this way of how we understand it that may change. And rest up is the process of unhooking. So that's when you take the time off. You spend time with yourself and yourself only, because other than if you don't do that, you're constantly living somebody else's life, somebody else's dreams. And so that's why it's so crucial to just retract so you can go back into the world again with this new point of view. So wake up, clean up, power up, and rest up. Beautiful, beautiful way to put it. And understanding that there's the subject, then there's the object outside of you, and then there's like this totality that holds it all. And in a sense, biohacking is one of the definitions from Dave Asprey's, like optimizing the environment inside and outside of you. So you first go to your inner verse, then you look at your immediate relationships, interactions, all of that. Basically what I did, it was in 2017 to 2018, I, I got rid of everything I had. No, not everything, but material things. I got rid of an apartment. I got rid of as much stuff as I could physically at that time. About 90% of stuff gone. The rest I just put in a warehouse. And I went traveling for, it was like a speaking tour. And I calculated, I'm going to be on the road like five months. And it turned out to be a few years. And when I moved here, I decided 
that there is like nothing coming here that it yeah. doesn't serve any kind of purpose, either function or or art or or detail that I really love. And I will keep the space clean because my desk used to look like everyone who was work with me, the version of them before this version, the desk was like a complete mess. It was like always stuff everywhere. My home was the same. Now it's been like clean everywhere. And I'm very conscious about material things. Like I don't need stuff. And I'm very considerate what I go after. And so in that process, I noticed that changing that environment outside of me cleared out my mind also. There's more peace. But you know what? These last few weeks, I've been going through the closets here. <laughs> and yeah, it's crazy what I find. There's still so many things that like lurk in. And it's also in our minds and our lives. We try to control things, right? So in a way, biohacking at its worst is neurotic control. That you're so afraid of losing control that you try to control everything. You try to control everything you eat. You try to, try to control your environment. Everything is like needs to be under control. And if it's not, you get anxious, you get stressed, you get suddenly gluten intolerance, whatever it is that's your problem or what you're afraid of. So there's this like all psychosomatic component to it. Like people who are sensitive to gluten, they just get symptoms of it just with the idea of having it in the food, even if it's not in there, right? And to some extent, also like this whole EMF stuff, which is great, can turn into that. Like the anticipation that there is some harmful radiation is already causing the symptoms, right? Versus that's just one aspect that you are consciously paying attention to. You're limiting, you're accepting that it's good enough. But in the end, if it starts to control you, if the external things start to control you, then you are not in control of your inner verse anymore. Suddenly the outer verse is like taking over your inner world also. It suddenly becomes a reflection of it. So all the environmental toxins and EMFs and everything is like suddenly you are a sick person because of the mold and whatever you went through. But to transform that from the inside is key. So I guess that's like a dance also. Like we go through these cycles where we become aware that things are not okay, like you're going to fix it. And then it's under control, you get peace of mind. But then that like thing that provided you that comfort, that healing can then start to control you. I've seen that in health and wellness influencers is that maybe it's a diet or maybe it's like some kind of passage that is part of their wounded healer story or their own hero's journey, like whatever was the thing that worked for them. They become emotionally so attached to it that it takes over everything. It takes over their identity even. So you become keto Mike or vegan Mary, right? So whatever that dogma is, belief system, it starts to rule you and control you. And then there's this disconnect again. What if you don't want to be keto all the time? What if you want to try some meat as a vegan Mary? What if, you know, you just take a break of being a biohacker? just for a weekend. I just started thinking about that stuff when you spoke about that. And the B is, again, like the acceptance of it all. It's this constant state of dance that we're in, because it's so funny that you mentioned this, because this is actually so important to understand, because we have to be okay when things don't go our way. And that's that level of like surrender versus dancing in what whatever is. Because the minute that we think that we've mastered something or that we've known a certain thing, then there is another set of tools that will completely bounce it back. And I've had this with the breatharians. 
it's literally whenever I go into the dark room, it erases everything I know about biohacking because when she talks about how do we get our nutrition, how do we get our minerals and vitamins, and, and we literally sing a song in the morning, it's all my vitamins, all my minerals, everything you need comes from prana. <laughs> so you literally, you completely rewire that potential. And it just tells you how expandable we are based on the level of belief system that we have. Because there is over 200,000 people that claim that they have no longer the need to eat physical food that have been able to successfully convert into prana as a source. And it's fascinating because then everything is about just coding. And that's really what System Reset, by the way, is about. It's about getting you into the internet to reset you back to baseline and back into health, happiness, harmony, and on whatever level that you're dealing with. But then if something on the outside is not ideal, we have the power to hold our boundary, our strength. We have the power to not be affected by it. Because the minute that you, for example, think about COVID and viruses, there was a whole documentary that debunks that viruses exist to begin with, right? The minute that you start thinking that it's just a flu, then it just doesn't exist in your space. And it's funny because even for us at the beginning, we were like, what is this, right? There was like a period of time that we all caught COVID, me and my partner and families. But then we rebranded essentially the thought about it to begin with and literally did not exist in the space, haven't been one sick since then. So it's really the most important biohack that you can ever hack or that you can ever have <laughs> is to unhack everything you've ever known and tune into this inner hearing, seeing, knowing. Because the minute that you're actually living based on your own need and accessories, then we learn through and call in these situations that are perfect and ideal. And whatever it's tools, whatever it's products, whatever it might be, it will work for a certain period of time. But then we should also be okay if we don't have it, it taught us a lesson. It's like a heart rate monitor or EEG, right? It, you learn what your heart rate zones are or what your brain waves are based on what happens on the outside. And then you just know what that feels like. And it teaches you to be able to rely on the biggest computer system, which is your DNA, your body, your mind, your emotions. <laughs> yeah, like you use the computer metaphor here to rewire, like boot the motherboard in a sense, like system reset. Do you have like a, are you like a geek when you were growing up, like with computers and all that? Like, how do you see that? You're talking about prana here. You're talking about like consciousness and energy and all that, but you're doing a system reset. So well, let's do a little system reset. So first thing first, I'll give you this little exercise, right? What we know, we know that water inside of our uh, cells can carry information and we are 60, 70% filled with water. And so we actually do this little exercise with people. So you, you connect your point finger and your thumb together and you essentially, you just, you tap and you're speaking from the mind, the software into the body, the hardware. And it starts with a simple code, system reset back to baseline now. And what you do is you speak to the cells, to your body, to your water system to basically reset back to baseline. So just like a computer, when you hold the power button for two or more seconds, it resets back. Now, at first you might not feel the response. So what's really important is maybe close your eyes, relax into your body, and just shut out that external world and just connect into a slow, subtle, rhythmical breath. And then just speak to your body from the mind and just state system reset back to baseline 
Now, at first, I did not have a response, but then later I start having a little tension or little goosebumps, or it comes in a different way that the body actually is listening to. Now, we notice all of our DNA, all of our cells are constantly listening and waiting for information. So this reset gives you back to baseline. Now, here's the next one. System reset, perfect health now. And just simply program all of your cells into perfect health. Again, from the superior mind, that explanation could be you're typing up an email. And when you hit enter, you send the email, right? The same way you send this information. And what do you do with the email? You demand that it will get there and you trust that it will get there. The same way you build the trust and understanding with your mind-body connection. Now, here's the next one. System reset, perfect balance now. You code it in, you speak to it, your body knows what perfect balance is, and then you just demand the answer. And maybe now just use whatever you wish to code it into. It could be system reset, perfect energy levels now. Sometimes when I'm tired or system reset, perfect sleep, perfect time management, perfect harmony and relationships, you code it and you demand it and then you trust it. And this is just like a muscle. You go to a gym and you lift the weights enough times, you will start building muscle mass. And so same way we start building this connection. And so for me now, it's a constant conversation that I have within my body, within my emotions, within different aspects. And sometimes I get called, take, I don't know, ashwagandha, right? Like it will help your stress. And so that's when knowledge can be very great because it allows your intuition to have sources to pull from. But yeah, so this is a direct feedback that will give you eventually a response. And it's really, it's like this, I like to play. I'm like a child that's in a constant wow and wonder of what this world can give us. And, you know, you play enough and you play and you think these things into being. Right. This reminds me of Bruce Lipton and his book, The Biology of Belief your cells are not responding to what you actually see or experience, but they respond to the biochemical, neurochemical environment that you create for them. And you can actually affect that very directly. So when you have this moment, when it rains, is your response getting wet or is it feeling rain on the skin? Very different effect in terms of neurotransmitters, inflammatory messengers, whatever than if you get stressed about it. In a sense, you are in control of your nervous system if you want to, or it's an autopilot that does all kinds of stuff. And that's also the what you explained earlier about the monkey mind, in a way, that is constantly telling you about threats or things you need to do and all that, and you're just witnessing its existence and accepting it and like having an awareness of its existence. Like So many people are not even aware that they have voices in their heads. In a sense, they just follow the commands. So I, I really like that exercise. It's super simple, in a sense, to just come to this moment also. And also remind you what is important. Why am I doing this? And you can then approach it differently. I remember I did an experiment with heart rate variability monitors. I had a huge conference where I was speaking on both days. Also, I was raising capital for a venture. So I had like 15 meetings on each day lined up with investors and it was like constant sympathetic nervous system activation and I just decided to do an experiment. One day I just decided I'm not using any biohacks. I'm just gonna do like a regular person does and I measured it 
like just run around and be super hyper and fill every second with like opportunity or chasing them. And the second day I was just taking a mindful breath before I got into anything, presentation, meeting. And I would actually share that with other people. So when I went to a meeting and there's this like super hyper agitated person, I would just, hey, let's take one minute, just like mindful breaths. And I would explain them that this is what they do at Google. So at Google, they always start meetings like this. So it was like something they can associate with. So at Google, they always start like one minute before going to meetings. So we just like read slowly, like eyes closed, put a bell on. And I looked at my date after that day and it was like night and day. Same busy day, completely different neurological response to the day. And I felt more rested also the next day. And I also got more out of those days that day when I was like really mindfully present. And actually those people I also helped to go through the same in those meetings actually led into something. So we're often so preoccupied about the next thing that we are not even paying attention to what's happening or who we are with and all that. So just like being mindfully present, that that was all what was needed. So it just reminded me like tapping my fingers and like making those commands, how important it is like just to stop even in the middle of a podcast and remind you that, hey, everything is fine, perfect balance. And then you know this, ah, there's something that's not in balance. And then like suddenly it is because you noticed it. That's really what determines the quality of our life. This is why I love using this before meetings or if I feel anxious or I really like just need a rest or when we are on a tour, sometimes we do three, four events in one day. And so it's so important to take charge and bring it back. And there's one other tool, it's called an instant presence that's so easy to follow. And it's anytime you're talking or listening, you simply focus on these three things. So first thing, it's the gold standard, five and a half seconds inhale, five and a half seconds exhale, in and out your nose or any sorts of extended breathing. It increases your heart rate variability. It lowers down your stress, brings you more into coherence. Breath is like the key to me to everything because it's what we're born with. And also the last breath that we take when we die with. But between the first and last breath, what is unfolding is either of this deep consciousness state that we're aware and present or not. We're just passing by on an autopilot. So breath is the first tool of the instant presence. The second tool is body awareness. And I always like to ask myself this question, where am I? Because most of the time we're in the future, we're in the past, we're constantly on our phones and emails. And the minute that our consciousness extends out somewhere into the external world, we're basically giving all of the energy, let's say, to a cell phone. And there's nothing wrong with using technology, but it's the state we're in while we're using it. So if you can, next time you ask yourself, where am I? You bring the all of your beingness into every pore of your skin. I even like to imagine this, that I inhale that five and a half through these imaginary champagne-like bubbles bubbling up around your whole body. So that way you exactly can visualize and conceptualize inhaling and drawing in from the entirety of you and then exhaling out from the entirety of you in a relaxed, open space because we tend to be tensing up our shoulders, our core, especially when we're talking or not listening in a lot of ways. So where am I? I'm fully inside of this body as the whole awareness. 
Now imagine next time you pick up a phone and you're holding this awareness and you're only an extension. Now you're not getting lost in the information. You're actually still here, present and aware, which will also sometimes cause you maybe turning it off sooner or not browsing for too long. So body awareness is the second tool. And the third tool is, can you pay attention to the stillness and silence beneath the noise? So one of my favorite times to practice this is on an airplane or in a music festival, somewhere where it's really noisy, you can still be aware of your breath, your body's awareness and stillness and silence underneath the sound, underneath the noise. And it's that little, almost like a waterfall-like sound or ooh, it's this little like piece. And if you just simply do that right now, you will instantly become present. And so see what happens if you use these three tools throughout the day, especially when you forget you're out there again. And what's interesting is sometimes we are excited and happy, but that's equally could be as bad as sad and unhappy because we're in that triggering highs and lows and up and down versus just being in that essence, welcoming things as they come and unfold with this pure awareness of that moment. All of a sudden you'll fill up the room wherever you go incredible tools, super, super simple. And I got what you meant, that silence thing, like paying attention to that, like background silence is that's profound way to pay attention. Actually, it's interesting about the breath when we're having a conversation. So probably a lot of listeners, their days are full of meetings where they go Zoom calls, whatever, podcast recordings, like meetings, all of that. And when you're in a conversation, the moment when people usually don't breathe, it's also when you speak, like how to learn to use your breathing, is the moment when you're listening. The moment when you're listening, you start to accumulate some associations or reflections or whatever is happening. And your short-term memory can keep only a certain number of concepts. So once your short-term memory gets full, you are in this state where you need to you feel you, you want to get it out. So when you're having a conversation, you're getting associations of what the other person is saying. There is a moment where you start to wait for the opening when you can say something, where you can jump in. And usually what happens there is you stop breathing. You're, you're on the edge of your seat. You're almost like getting ready to jump from a cliff. And that's where your shallow breathing very easily comes from. And then your heart rate goes up. And once you jump or you open your mouth, you might actually say something you didn't mean because you're in this agitated state. So. That's one of those things that I try to pay attention to when I'm having a conversation is like when I'm listening is that I'm actually like relaxing my shoulders and I'm breathing. And sometimes I forget, but the consciousness of like awareness of that process, like and getting back into just paying attention is key. And it also teaches something about listening because in the end, when you are listening to someone, you're not really listening what they're saying. You are becoming aware of your own associations to what is being said. And you realize that all that stuff comes from inside, actually, because we don't really hear what people say. We hear the reflections that our neurochemistry is making out of those situations. That's the key. As much as it's important to learn to listen, it's actually learning to listen yourself. What's happening there? Like, why is this stuff rising? And also learning to let go of some things like, okay, I don't need to bring this up whatever. It's also a mindfulness practice in a sense, if you do it properly. It's actually in the Socratic dialogue, a method that Socrates developed for dialogue. One of the key components of Socratic dialogue is that you use simple language, so you don't hide behind 
authorities, references, whatever, like complex language. And the second thing is that you should be always able to recite what has been discussed so far in the whole conversation. If someone asks you, give me one minute what has been the discussion so far. And the second thing is you should be able to fully recite what the other person just said. And then doing that properly where that is being practiced, like guided, there's you don't interrupt. And when you say something, you use simple language. And when you listen, you should be able to recite and in any second what is being said and what has been said so far in its totality. And then you realize people are not really paying attention, they're not really present, and how hard it is actually to do properly and learning to do it. Like we haven't learned how to even have a proper conversation. I don't think like Socratic dialogue is being teached in schools that much, but it's one of those like aha moments for me when a master of that showed practically that happened actually in the Netherlands. And there was scientists, like top scientists, like you can imagine, like top freaking experts on a topic having a debate. And there's this guy who practiced Socratic method, was like guiding them into these principles and then getting them into the topic. And it completely changed the way these people were talking to each other. They were not hiding behind whatever learned programming, but they were actually trying to be more present to understand what is the conversation about. That's also so important, right? Imagine the amount of conversations in today's world, how they're just like this autopilot blush. And we make this fun with my fairy, with my partner, is that we sometimes find it so hard to be social because the level of conversations we want to have is very much different. And what we've explored is in a different areas that we go to, people are scared to go deeper. It's actually really interesting how much we have we're the society of walls and protection and and mental projections. And then we totally forget the heart and we forget the beauty that happens in spontaneous conversations without any agenda. And I think that's the doing again, right? Like we step into the beingness to just start reflecting and seeing everybody as the God inside of them that shines out in front of us. And that's, by the way, it's been one of my favorite exercises when I travel so much. I have this thing, every plane that I sit into, I state this little mantra, like I see the awareness inside of you and inside of everybody in the plane, I become the awareness of the plane and then come from this place of just re-seeing things for the beauty beyond the John or Mary, the names, the titles and where we're from. And that's also what we do in System Reset is really like looking and seeing people for what they are, not for what we're not. That's a good practice, considering how stressful flying might be. Like, that sounds like a nice practice. But it's interesting if you think about flying, it's actually magic. You are tied in a chair, you're flying in the sky. Like, it's literally, it was impossible like a few generations ago to have that experience. And now we are privileged to have it. And you're complaining about the food in the airplane, the neighbor sitting next to you, the noisy kids, whatever, like the poor air conditioning. But you're like, the fact that you are stuck there for God knows how many hours and with all these cartoon characters and <laughs> you transform that experience into an enlightening experience of seeing for what it is actually and not your like immediate reactions on the surface to the situation. The poor airline food. But Lee Evin, my friend who does also bread work, he always used the example from airplanes that you should put like the oxygen mask first on yourself before helping others. And maybe that's what we need to do also in our interpersonal relationships as well, to be able to be fully 
of service. I think this conversation has been incredible. And so you are on a journey now to like help people have this self-actualization, realization, awareness. Like you went through all of this and that's now your wounded healer story of discovering it. And now you're embodying that you want everyone else to experience the same. You're like conducting these experiences for people to have this self-transformation, the word that you used. And you gave a few simple examples, but if they want to learn more, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, no. So I think the most important part is that we're really opening up a space for people to re-see them for what they are, not for what they're not. And doing it without any substances for the most part to really be able to actually take it home with you, what will count the most in your daily life. And so we do this through the digital side of things. We've got online courses and on-demand library, which will give a free month. So that way people can experience anything from three-minute recordings to two-hour journeys. Really depends on what your appetite and time is of the day. Then we do about 100 to 150 events out of the year all across the world from lectures, workshops, retreats. That's on our website. It's the NOAAON, N-O-A-A-O-N.com. That's we a lot of events. You are one of the guys, like I have a lot of friends, but you seem to be like all the time in a different event, different country, different place. And you're not alone. Like you have your wife and kids with you and Sometimes you're traveling on your own, but what you're saying is that you're not burning out doing this, are you? It's this burning desire to continue to serve. It's really sometimes I wonder myself, why exactly are we doing this to ourselves? But because of the cycle that I've been able to weave in and out, I've really been able to find that harmony. It's not always easy, especially with children. And when your shift doesn't end with the event, it starts because of kids to be fed. I've been called to this and I feel this in my bones that the next couple of years, we're just going to continue doing this. We do this exercise at the end of every event where we bring people into group coherence through our heart and we put up these, how do we call it, like a constructs or energy. So we pray for land, we pray for peace. We're bringing more love through the unified realms. And that's what's been shown to me with plant medicine, with darkness, is that's been my role to really be able to open this up with people's hearts so we can come back to unity from where we all started. I used to get tired when I was using my own source. And I sometimes get into that same way when I'm not properly being the vessel of this energy. But then when you truly are that, and when you think about, let's say you have 100 people in an event, that's 100 times one plus one is not two. It's exponential when it comes to coherence. And so it's an exponential energy feedback, right, where we're receiving as well. So I also feel sometimes more energized than when I'm actually off the tour with this. Yeah. And then we, we so we've also built a conscious expansion marketplace. We have a EMF devices. We have a light therapy we're coming up with an EEG headband that's going to basically next year, our events will have a way to monitor and track group coherence in a real life with neurofeedback as well. And that's something that I'm really the most excited about because now we can actually show people what's happening and not just have this mystical experience. Yeah, the, the website is noaaon.com. There's a bunch of events now happening in the US, for example, you have a shop of different products, WaveGuard, for example, 
There's Visor. I use Visor often myself. I do too. Yeah. I have to tell them I filmed a whole bunch of breath work and meditations with the light therapy. And it's really amazing. We're going to release that soon, but it will imagine you can do your three, four rounds of, let's say, Wim Hof retention, but with the light. That's, by the way, some of the things that we're now curating also for Sarah Thrive, which is the red light. It's like a 10 minute red light sessions, but you also will get to have the meditation or vibration with our in harmony meditation cushions. So that's when I say consciousness expansion marketplace, we want to be able to give people the tools that are effective, that are quick, that can bring you into data, that can bring you into different states very quickly. And that's, I think, where I see the technology being awesome. The technology inside of us can have the extension outside of us. So we have a Biker Summit 10-year anniversary coming in Helsinki, 2nd and 3rd of July. And with Pavel, we have done the system reset experience a few times in our events before. Always fully booked. It's been for many like one of the most memorable experiences they've had at the summit. But for next year's summit in Helsinki, we are planning to potentially set up an even bigger project, integrating some new technologies, but just creating a space where people can go through this transformative experience. We have had this sanctuary space in our last two biker summits in Amsterdam, which is one of the kind of things that in a busy conference where you enter and it's like complete peace where you go and you imagine you're in a noisy environment and you walk into a sanctuary and it's oh, your nervous system just counts down in seconds. There is performances, all that, like there is guided uh, sessions, all kinds of things, but it's just the like energy is completely different from a conference environment. And that's the duality of uh, nervous system experience that I also want to provide in my events. But we always want to push the technological side of how we do things. So I'm looking forward to creating something interesting with you to Helsinki. So People should definitely book their tickets to Helsinki. And these kind of experiences are for the premium and VIP ticket holders. So that's something you may want to jump into right now because those tickets always sell out. There's so many people always who would have wanted to experience come and do that, but we have limited space for transformative experiences. That's like a little nudge or hint for listeners to, if they were been thinking about getting a premium ticket or VIP ticket, get it now because... It's going to be even better than in previous years, what we're going to do in Helsinki. And Pavel definitely we're going to create something transformative. Not necessarily a dark room, but silent space. But if you are interested in having that experience um, possible, like maybe you can make a silent retreat after the summit or something like this. I know the location. So you can reach out to me if you want to do that. I think I have to add, we have done literally every conference possible from the psychedelics conferences to summits to the CEOs. And there is literally no better experience that really integrates everything. And this is what I love about you is you get the consciousness piece because so many longevity and biohacking, it's centered around the body. But really, that's such a small element of who and what we are. That's what really brings this massive shift for coming into these events, not just some fun weekend. It actually can really transform your life. Thank you so much, brother. So yeah, check out bikersummit.com for the tickets and noahown.com for the both digital and in-person content and also some physical products. I also want to mention the on-demand library of content that you have produced on the website. So there's a lot of free material there. Also, 
if you want to get into your breath or whatever like it is mini course into Pavel's philosophies you can find stuff on the website it's great check it out but with that thank you very much for the interview i'm looking forward to meeting you soon i'm following you online and checking out your instagram noah on is is definitely one worth following it's great stuff you're doing I appreciate you I appreciate you and uh, thank you so much for your time and for opening this up. I'm excited to reconnect somewhere in the world <laughs> very soon, hopefully before the summit. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's manifest that into being. Yes. I will tap my fingers for that. Thank you very much.